I want to preach to you this evening, if I may, from the book of Matthew chapter 9. Book of Matthew chapter 9. Amen. God's been good to us, church. I'm so very grateful for the word of the Lord. And I want him to speak to us in this place tonight. I want to preach to you from the book of Matthew chapter 9. And verse number 20, if I can. 9. And 20. If you're there, say amen. amen. Jesus is, uh, he's been pulled to the side. He had just finished telling the followers of Jesus, he had just finished telling them that the whole don't need a physician. But he came for the sick. And so they started asking Jesus about fasting which is kind of unique if you're reading through the story and they start asking about fasting. And as he was passing through and teaching, one of the rulers by the name of Jairus came to him and he said, my daughter is dying. She's 12 years old. And so you have to understand where this man's at. He's got a little girl, 12 years old, that's at home dying. And then we come to this part right here. Jesus, he finally got Jesus' attention. And he feels like Jesus is on his way to his house. When behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched. Somebody say touched. Touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but what? If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about and when he saw her he said daughter be of good comfort thy faith hath made thee whole and the woman was made whole from that hour the woman was made whole from that hour and what made her whole was her ability to believe that just touching Jesus was enough that's all she needed to do just touch Jesus I still believe in this house tonight that if you can just touch Jesus, that everything is going to be all right. I know that sounds old-fashioned, but I believe it. I believe it. You can be seated. As you know, I, I travel quite a bit, spend a lot of time in airports and after a while, kind of every airport feels the same. And you sit there and a bunch of people, and then they call your boarding number after you sit there and wait all day long. And everybody runs to the gate like if they get on the plane faster that they've got some kind of leg up or something. And I'm like, well, run on, child, because I'd rather stand here and be able to stretch for a minute, you know. And everybody is, they figured out a way, or so they think, to beat the system. And they don't check luggage anymore because you have to pay. So they bring their luggage with them and check it on. And they're like, man, they will knock you over or knock you out, whichever they have to do first to be sure they got a place to put their bag when they get on the airplane. And after a while, you're just like, 
hurry up and wait, you know. And so I find ways to busy myself. And sometimes I'll just get up and, and walk. I'll walk up and down the terminal or if I've got plenty of time, I'll catch a train to another terminal and just walk. And It's uh, just a way to pass time. And I was in an airport some time ago, and I picked up a magazine and started to read. And they were talking about basically, uh, in the corporate world now, it's making it more and more difficult for people to find true love and connections. And they were talking about how there was a day that a girl would get out of school and she would get married when she got out of school. And they would start their family and the husband would go to work. You know, the old uh, leave it to beaver story. Just, just get out of school. She's the mom. She's at home. The story was about the fact that now there were a lot of young women who came out of high school, went through college, and were spending several, several years in their career before they would begin to search for true love. And this particular girl that they interviewed, they were talking to her about the fact that she had taken a job. And I don't remember, uh, it seems like to me uh, that her, uh, her man was in the Midwest and she had been picked up at a job and had to go to L.A. or something like that. They were separated by many, many miles. He was doing his career, she was doing her career, and they were going to... Uh, make this thing work. And so they had an entire section in this article. Why I read it, I don't know. Maybe for right now. But the entire article was based on the idea of how difficult it was to have a long-distance relationship and maintain intimacy. And she said, now that we're separated, it's so hard for us to stay connected on an emotional level. She said, we do the best that we can. We use Skype. We use our phones. We text each other. We send emails back and forth. We do everything that we can to stay connected. But this is where my eyebrow raised. The girl began to talk about how difficult it truly was to understand the power of intimacy without touch. She said, we have found that no matter how long we try or how hard we have tried to stay connected on an emotional and intimate level, she said, there is nothing that takes the place of being able to embrace my love. She said, I long for the moments that I get to come home or he flies out to where I'm at. And what was just a connection over a video chat or a telephone conversation. Now, there's something more real and tangible to it because I can feel the heartbeat of the one that's tried to communicate with me. And I want to tell you that in this day and time, we've got a lot of people who are trying to maintain an intimate relationship with Jesus, but they're trying to do it without a touch. They follow him close enough to call themselves a Christian. 
They go to church just enough to ease their conscience. But in the middle of the night, when the Holy Ghost is reaching down and trying to touch their heart, we have become so busy that we don't have time for the intimacy and the touch of the hand of the Master. Can I tell you what I believe? I believe we spend a lot of time reflecting on the past and how it used to be. And Oh, I wish we'd have a move like we used to have. But I feel like telling you, in the 21st century, it's going to cost us what it cost them. If you want to touch Jesus, you're going to make an intentional effort to get up from where you are and touch him. If there was a shortcut to revival, surely to God, we would have found it by now. If there was a shortcut to salvation, surely we would have found it by now. If there was a way that we could have a move of God and sit idly by and just watch him move, it would have already happened. But I believe that if we're going to have an old-fashioned Holy Ghost outpouring, it's going to be because we get tired of not touching him. I'll never forget what went through my mind sitting in that airport. And she said, it's so hard for us to stay connected without touch. And I could just feel the presence of God begin to sweep over me saying, that's exactly what I'm trying to get to the church today. You cannot have a move of God without a touch of God. I tell you this today, that it's not an accident we were built that way. For in the creation account, everything that was created for the first five days was created by the word of God. Until the sixth day when he created man with his own hands. And he formed him and made him in his image. I'm telling you this evening that man was created by the touch of God. And it's still going to take the touch of God today. The touch of God was enough to form the man And the breath of God is what breathed life into that man I don't know how you feel tonight But I've come to preach on this Sunday night I need his touch I need his touch I need his touch I need his touch I need his touch. I need his presence. I need his glory. I want a saturation of his presence. I want this house to be permeated and saturated. I don't want this to be like every other church in town. Oh God, I feel him. I don't want to walk in here to a dead, dried up church. I don't want to be a church that's full of the best programs, but we don't know how to touch Jesus. Can I tell you, I thank God for programs, but there's nothing that'll set a sinner free like one touch. <laughs> we still sing it from time to time. But I remember as a boy singing the song in this church, reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. I feel him here right now. You will find he's not too busy. To hear your heart's cry. He is passing by this moment. 
your needs to supply. So reach out and touch the Lord. <laughs> Ooh, I feel something trying to break free in this house right now. Ah, oh, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we need to get back to some old-time language of Pentecost that we don't talk about anymore. We need to hear about what it means to tarry in the Holy Ghost. Come on, we need some folks that know what it's all about. To push through and crawl if you have to. Do whatever you've got to do. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry if this language is too strong for you tonight. But I'm telling you right now, we live in a generation that everybody wants it right now. And if they can't have it right now, they're not going to have it. Hey, man, we'll go through a drive-thru and then complain that they took too long in the drive-thru. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy us because we want it right Right now, and if we don't get it right now, we're not going to take it. But I'm telling you right now, you're not just going to get a touch from the master by sitting back and saying, give us revival, give us revival, give us revival. We need somebody that will find a place in the carpet and weep between the porch and the altar and weep for children and weep for revival. We've got to touch him. I remember singing that song as a little boy with childlike faith. My mother would be playing that song and singing it from the organ, and I would close my eyes. I don't know why I remember this song so vividly, but this one in particular, I remember closing my eyes, and I would stretch toward the nearest aisle where I was sitting. Usually it was on the front row if I wasn't playing the drums because my mother sat on the second row, and I'd sit right in front of her. And I, I remember reaching towards the nearest aisle, and I would close my eyes, and I would imagine right then that he was passing by, and I would stretch out, and I'd say, Lord, I just want to touch you. I just want to touch you right now. I just want to touch you, Lord. And it wouldn't take very long in my childlike faith before I'd feel a hand reaching. Oh, God, I feel it right now, that I'd feel that old hand reaching towards where I was reaching. Amen. I'm telling you tonight, church, if you'll reach out for him, he's still reaching. This is probably too old fashioned for some of you. And that's okay. You can you don't you don't have to listen to me, but there's some folks in here that know exactly what I'm talking about when I tell you that if you'll tarry in the Holy Ghost and you'll seek after the face of God until heaven till heaven comes down to where we are, you're gonna find out there's a difference in having good church and getting a touch. Can I just talk to you for a minute? I had a come to moment, Jesus, come to Jesus moment some time ago, several years ago. 
I don't think I've ever shared this publicly. But I was so desperate for a move of God in my life. In this church. On Mother's Day I preached my, my mother ruined my life. And tonight, I'm not titling this, but I want to tell you, my dad ruined my life. My dad raised me that everything else in life is secondary to a sovereign move of God. That preaching alone is not going to make it happen. Amen. A good music program is not going to make it happen. And I tell you that... 25 years later, I'm still trying to figure out this preaching thing. But before I even knew how to preach a lick, I knew I needed his touch. And that's one thing about me that has not changed. I need his touch. And I don't just need his touch once in a while. I need his touch every day. Every night. Every morning. (laughs) I feel him here right now. I need his touch. So I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go spend a few days at the church. We were having a big weekend here. We had, uh, I can't remember now if it was Memorial Day, uh, something. It was, a, it was an American uh, holiday that we were having here. And so on that Sunday, we only had one service. Uh, and I came at that time, my office was upstairs by the youth center. And I brought my Bible, a journal, and a couple of gallons of water. I came down here on a Friday, Thursday or Friday. I just found these journal notes just the other day. And I shut myself in with God and I started battling. It wasn't a spiritual battle. I didn't have demons manifest. I didn't have any angels show up in my office. I just knew I needed to touch God. And if I was going to touch him, I had to. Destroy my flesh. And I sat down that night, stayed up to the wee hours of the morning in my office, just praying and seeking God. And the Lord would speak to me, and I'd write in my journal, and I'd get the Bible out and read for a while, and He'd speak to me, and I'd feel something churn, and I'd go to praying. And the Lord laid out a plan for me that night. Over the next three days that I was shut in that office, the Lord began to speak to me. And there's something that Most of you will never know, I was in my mid-twenties at that time. The Lord spoke to me in that shut-in meeting with him. And the Lord told me, he said, at the age of 30 years, you will be the senior pastor of this church. I didn't tell my dad this. He said, at the age of 30, you will pastor this church. He began to lay a plan out before me to stay humble with God, to seek God, to stay hungry for God. I began to journal that stuff out. Long story short, my 30th birthday came around in the month of June. And so I just sought the Lord and said, okay, God. And I I told my dad at one point, I don't even know when it was. I told him, I said, I don't want you to feel any pressure. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here with you. We're going to have revival together. This is going to happen. I was 30 years old. It was the week before Christmas. And my dad came over to our house. And uh, I'd been trying to get with him for several days, trying to get in order what we were going to do for the new year, his vision and his plan. 
And I said, Dad, what are your thoughts for the new year? What do you want to do? What can we work on? How can we help you? And I, I'll never forget the feeling that came over me when you rubbed your face with your hands. And that'll live in, in my face forever. I'll see it in my mind. My dad sat back on the sofa and he began to rub his face. He said, well, son, the first thing that I would say is, when are you ready to take this church? And I just about puked. And I said, well, that's up to you and God, Dad. I was 30 years and six months. And he said, well, I've been feeling a shift in the spirit. He said, I feel like now is the time. In the month of March, we had a meeting in this church on a Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. We took a vote of affirmation in this church. Bishop received a 100% vote to be your bishop. And I received 100% unanimous vote to be your pastor. We then got with some people that Bishop wanted to come in and preach. And that I wanted to come in and preach for the official installation service. They came in the month of May. That was as soon as we could get it scheduled. We transitioned in March and in the month of May they came in and we did an installation service. And the very next month, the month of June, I turned 31. Before the end of my 30th year, God had sealed the deal up. Bishop had listened to the Lord, whatever he was leading him to do. And sometimes I'm still wondering if he wasn't crazy. And God did what he was going to do. But I want to tell you something that's powerful. Sitting in that office, the thing that stood out to me and caused me to be astounded and amazed was not that the Lord told me how things would unfold in this church. It was that small, still voice that kept speaking to me saying, no matter what you're doing or where you're going, you've got to stay hungry for my touch. No matter what happens in your life, don't ever stop reaching for me. Don't ever stop touching me. Don't ever stop. Whatever you do, don't ever stop. Well, I want to tell you, church family, that in the last eight years, I've made plenty of mistakes. In the last 20 years that I've served in this church, I've made mistakes. I've probably preached things that weren't just exactly right. I've probably said things that I shouldn't have said. I've probably dealt with people in ways that I shouldn't have dealt with people. I have more than likely said things in the pulpit that may have had a slant to it or something and misspoke something that I wasn't aware of or that you misunderstood. But I want to tell you something about your pastor tonight. There is a fear in my heart to ever get to the place that we don't desire to touch God. And what I'm saying to you this evening is I'm just a man. I've had failures in my life. I've made many, many mistakes. But this is something that i found to always bring me to a level playing field. Whenever I have nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to go, I don't know what else to say. I know I can still touch Jesus. Do you know what it is that keeps me right here in this church? 
besides a love for you precious people, do you know what it is that keeps me in this church? I'm being honest with you. I've had guys look at me and ask me, man, why in the world have you stayed there your whole life? Why haven't, why haven't you stretched out going somewhere? I'm going to tell you why. I've traveled this country and around the globe. And there are not very many places that you'll go that you find a body of people like this church that is always reaching to touch Jesus. There are people in this house tonight that can testify to you that have moved into this area from other places that this church is not an ordinary church. And I want to tell you the rest of that story, we will never be an ordinary church because your pastor is not satisfied to just play patty cake with the devil and have good church. I want to be a part of a body that's doing everything we can to touch Jesus. Our city deserves that. Our, our county deserves that. This nation deserves that. If my People. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not telling you this for sympathy's sake. I've had people that's left this church and lied about me. We've had people leave this church and lie about our bishop and Bishop Bingham. We've, it's happened. Same way it's happened to you at your job. I've had people get mad at me for stuff I never said, but they thought I said it. I've had people get mad at me for preaching stuff that, quite honestly, I, don't, I just don't remember preaching it. And the night they told me I preached it, thank God, I went back and listened to the video. And I don't know who was preaching in there here, but it wasn't me. I'm going to tell you something about your pastor. I thank you for your kindness to me. In my elementary and juvenile years of just trying to do something for God when I was a boy, Doing my best to just seek God. I remember desiring to be a great preacher. I remember being 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. Going into places and preaching in pulpits that I didn't deserve to be preaching in. I was a kid. But people would give me a chance to preach. And I'm going to tell you, my mother, I still think she's my biggest fan sometimes. But my mother could tell you that before I could hardly read a Bible... There was a desire in my heart that I wanted to touch Jesus. I remember laying on the floor of our little travel trailer that we lived in. My mom and dad were traveling. My family lived in a 35 by 8 fifth wheel with no tip outs. And my sister and I shared a bedroom. It was the living room floor. And every night we'd roll our little sleeping bags out and we'd sleep on the floor. We felt it a blessing on the nights my mom would let us make down the dining room table. We'd get to sleep on the table. God put something in me as a boy. And just this past week, Dad, I thought about it in California. I was in Sacramento one day and I was helping the pastor. We had to do some things with his job. Moving some corporate aircraft around. I went with him to Sacramento one day. And it was so hot, we couldn't hardly breathe. Oh, man, it was hot. The airplane had been sitting out on the ramp. When I got in that airplane, I couldn't hardly breathe. It was so hot, I immediately just started sweating. And God took me to a place. You'll remember this. We were preaching in the valley in California, and our trailer was so hot. We couldn't keep the air conditioner on. All of our food was lost because it was so hot in our trailer. And my mom and dad, oh God, 
we left that trailer. My dad took the four of us over to the church. It was the coolest place they had. They didn't have air conditioning. Brother Haney, I don't know where, they had swamp coolers. You remember those as a kid? It just blow cool air. That's the best they could do. It was so, oh God, it was so hot. It was 110, 115 degrees. And we went into that church. We laid across the floor and those fans were blowing across us. I remember hearing my mom and dad. As they started crying out for that church we were preaching in. Sister Carol, I'd hear my dad. God sent revival to this church. God used us to do something in your kingdom and my mother. They had this little thing. I don't know if they remember doing this, but my dad would go get, he'd go get a folding chair and he'd lay down on the floor and he'd grab hold of the feet of that chair. And I'd hear my dad grab hold of the feet of that chair and he'd start praying, God, we want to get a hold of the horns of the altar. And my dad would weep and he would cry and they would invest in churches. We were in church 350 times a year. We were in church every day. We didn't, we didn't do Sundays and Wednesdays back then. We had church, man. We went, I don't know how my dad can even talk now. We had church, and me, and me and my mother, we played music every night. Sometimes we'd play. I remember being a little boy and playing, and we'd leave church that night, and I'd have blisters on my hands from playing drums so long, Jason. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. God took me to a place this week, to a little church in the valley where my family laid across that platform and we began to see God. I'll never forget it. They had the little fans that go back and forth and they had three buttons, two, two, uh, uh, two white ones and a gray one for low, medium, and high. And we'd push that high button and I'd walk back and forth and I remember tears coming down my face. And I remember as a boy doing everything I could to figure out a way to just touch Jesus because it's the only thing that matters. And I want to tell you, I stand before you tonight as a man as humble as I can. And I thank God for every blessing that I have. My family and I live in a beautiful home. Amen. I thank God for it. We drive, we drive cars that will take us where we need to go. I'm thankful for it. But if every bit of that goes away out of my life. And I never buy another car. And my house falls to the ground. I want my children to know that there is nothing more valuable in this life. (laughs) You were created by His touch. And you still need His touch. I don't just need His touch to heal me. I don't just need His touch to deliver me. I don't just need His touch to set me free. I need His touch on Sunday night because I can't live without it. Folks, I'm telling you tonight that I've been there, I've done it, I've preached to camp meetings and the conferences, I've preached to some of the largest crowds in Pentecost, I've preached in some of the largest churches in Pentecost. But this past week, God did something to me, I, I didn't even share this with my wife, but God did something to me, I had to go to California this last week for God to take me back to some things. Walked into church on Sunday morning. You won't find a more classy couple anywhere in the world than brother and sister Allard. They're precious 
young couple doing great things for God. Started a church five years ago, meeting in a storefront right now, and it's packed out. Their home missionary is packed out. They've got room for 90 chairs in their church. And there wasn't hardly an empty seat in there. People standing up in the back. When, when I gave the altar call, there wasn't room for everybody to come forward. And I walked in there on Sunday morning in Tracy, California. And when I walked in the doors, I felt a weight hit my shoulders. And this young man came up to me. And he, he, they called him their cadet. He takes care of the preacher when he comes in and gets him water and whatever. Like, I deserve that, you know. Basically, want to carry my Bible for me, and I said, "Man, I'm I'm good. Let's just go." He said, "Well, pastor's in the back. If you want to go back there?" So we went, and I walked in, and I sat down in that office. And the Holy Ghost began to move on me, and I'm just going to be real transparent with you for a second. So stay with me, and if this is too fleshly for you, then buy me a hamburger. I walked in there, I started repenting before God for all of the things that we take for granted. If you could have heard that church pray and seek God, my wife can tell you, she's sitting right there on the second row, she can tell you, that little church knows how to touch God. They know how to seek God, and their, their praise team got up. I'm telling you, I'd put their praise team in any big church. It's incredible what God's doing in their church, but they need a building. And I found myself sitting in that office repenting before God. I said, Lord... I gripe because we got tears and rips in our carpet. We need new carpet. Lord, we need a new roof on the old building. I, you know, I tell him all the time, God, you know what we need? It's our parking lot. We need it. And I walked out there to that little church filled to capacity. Matter of fact, they got a call from the, from the fire Inspector, the day we were, he was taking us to the airport and he was worried to death. He said, man, they're going to shut me down. They're going to shut me down. And I said, well, did the Lord not speak to you on Sunday that he was getting ready to expedite the process? I said, let them shut you down. Because if they shut you down, you're going to walk out of there and walk into a brand new building in Jesus' name. Anybody believe that with me for Brother and Sister Allard right now? Come on. Will anybody believe that with your pastor right now in the name of Jesus? For the West Valley Pentecostal Church, that God's going to give them a new building. They're going to walk into it. I believe in Jesus' name. Come on. We're going to pray this thing through right now. I'm going to call him and tell him tonight that you prayed for him. I'm believing it in Jesus' name. Come on, I want you to call Pastor and Sister Allard before the Lord right now. Would you do that? Revival for West Valley in the name of Jesus. Yes. Come on, speak it into existence. I claim 300 seat sanctuary in the name of Jesus. I declare it in the name of the Lord. 300 seat Sunday school rooms. I declare it in Jesus' name, a place for fellowship right now. (laughs) 
Would somebody release your faith right now? I know it may seem strange to some, but I believe in this right here. I'm rejoicing in the Lord right now for the phone call that I'm going to get. And I'm going to share it with you when he says, bro, God did it today. Man, thank you. I said all of that to say this. I've been in some of the biggest meetings we've got. I've been in the finest facilities that you're going to find anywhere. I've been in, in facilities, Bishop, that there's not much in Washington, D.C. or New York City that can compare with the beauty of the churches that we have in this movement. But I'm telling you right now that from the largest of churches to the smallest of home missions work, and we've been there. We've had church in living rooms. But it doesn't matter if you're on a marble floor or if you're in sawdust or if you're on the dusty streets of Jerusalem and you've had an issue for 12 years. The place and the time are not what matters. It's the touch. And I'm declaring to you on this Sunday night Some may have looked at you and said you're not in the right place. And it's not the right time. But it's not the time or the place. It's the touch. The touch. Why do you guys still have Sunday night service? Why do you all still have weekly prayer meeting on Thursday nights? Because I'm going to tell you the truth right now. If we cancel everything else in this church but prayer meeting, I need to touch him. Listen, people don't, people don't understand when they look at you and say, is it really necessary to go to church that much? I mean, gosh, me and my family go once a month and I'm satisfied. That's because you're not hungry enough. You've read the story of the woman with the issue of blood before. Tonight, what we read in our text is the short version. The other gospel said that she had spent everything she had. She had been to every doctor she could find. She had no other option. And when you get desperate enough, it doesn't matter where you are or who's in your way or what they say about it or how they talk about you. When you need a touch, you'll push until you touch it. I'm, I'm hurrying. So here's the story that you need to get. If you try to maintain an intimate relationship with somebody long enough to no know touch, please don't let this rock your world right now. I'm not being crude. But I'm going to tell you what history tells us. If you don't get the touch you need, You'll start looking other places for a touch. Oh boy, it just got tied up in here. The Holy Ghost was moving. And that's exactly what's happening in the church age. 
the reason that we become more and more satisfied with less and less God, it's not that we're going without a touch. It's that we figured out other ways to scratch our itch, if you would. We have started taking our love for God and saying, yeah, but if I'll work a few more hours and just miss a little bit more church, I can have more stuff. But you hear this preacher when I tell you right now, there's going to come a day that your kids are going to leave and your house is going to be too big and you don't need eight seats in your van anymore. And all the stuff that you've got that you killed yourself to get, it's going to stop running. It's going to start leaking. And you're going to start downsizing because all the stuff you thought you needed, you don't need anymore. But when all of that passes away, you're still going to need a touch. Can I just preach to you as your pastor tonight? I want you to be blessed. I want you to make more money than you've ever made. I want, honest to God, I want God to give you the best job you've ever dreamed or imagined. I want you to live in the nicest of homes. I want you to drive the nicest of cars. And I'm going to rejoice with you when you do. But whatever you do, don't let that get in front of the touch. What would it profit a man? Come on, somebody preach to me right now. What would it profit a man? He gained the whole world. I'm tired of the devil making us believe we got to be broken. Set on the back burner because we're apostolic. I'm, and I'm sick of it. I'm going to tell you something. People that are faithful and give God of their first fruits... You deserve the best. But you what, you what you can't afford to do is make that become your idolatry. That you're so hungry for that. That you'll neglect touching him so that you can touch things. The Bible said that where your treasure is, that's, oh God, I feel him here. That's where your heart is. And it doesn't take too much guesswork to find out where your heart is. If your church family's always looking for you, where you at, where you been, we've been missing it. Well, I've just got to get some things straightened out. You hear me when I tell you tonight, under the unction of the Holy Ghost, there is nothing more important than your soul. But I'm getting ready to say, I don't say this with a vindictive bone in my body, and I don't say it with arrogance, and I don't say it to be mean. But I've literally had guys look at me, Bishop, and say to me, why in the world do you guys have so much church when you have revivals? They say, you mean you guys still do like Sunday through Wednesday? Yeah. They say, man, that don't work at our place. You know what, Brother Joe? I'm glad we still have service every night of revival. Because that's why my buddy's here. 
I'll never forget the night you walked in this church, Brother Joe Green. God gave me a chance to talk to him at the golf course. And I said, Joe, we're in revival right now. I want you to come be in church with us. I'll never forget that night you walked in, my brother, and walked right over here and sat down. I'll never forget it. And that's why, right there, I believe in revival. Because the touch that Brother Joe got two years ago, you won't get that at home watching TV. You won't get that at home. Oh, no, no, no. You'll get it in the house of the Lord. Pastor St. Clair, you're just a fanatic. You're just old-fashioned. You just, look, here's the way I figure it. Ain't no sense in reinventing the wheel. I know somebody feels like they're going to find a new way to have revival. But I'm going to tell you what your pastor believes. Brother Hensel, I'm going to believe it till I quit breathing. If my people, which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He said, I'm going to hear them from heaven. I'm going to heal their land. I'm going to forgive their sin. Can I tell you right now what he was saying is, if you really want to touch me, you're going to have to reach out and touch me. You can't be satisfied without the touch. I don't want to embarrass anybody in this house tonight God knows my heart I'm going to tell you something I want my kids sitting somewhere close To people like Sister Darla when people are praying I want my kids sitting by people like Sister Potter, Sister Reno I want my kids sitting by people like my grandmother Sister Sawyer, Brother Wendell Evans, you want to know why? Because I want the young people of this church to know we've got to have his touch. We've got to have his touch. Oh, God. I desire a move of God in my generation that you're not going to get with just good preaching. I desire a move of God that you're not going to get by just going to a conference. I desire a move of God where people are so moved and they're so hungry that they'll do whatever they've got to do. Get up out of their bed. Get up out of their seat and find a place to see God. We've got to have his touch. It'll sustain you. It'll keep you. I've got to have his touch. <laughs>